0: Hi, and welcome to Recovered, a podcast from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Dallas, Texas, and known by many as Maggie's. My name is Stephanie, and I'm a recovered alcoholic on staff at the Magdalene House. Each week, I have the pleasure of conducting a live interview with an alcoholic woman in recovery for the participants who are currently in our Next Step program. Whether you're in recovery yourself, contemplating giving it a try, or just supporting someone who is, we are so glad you're here. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Lisa and everyone else. Um, I just want to first mention that everyone who is on here, like we don't have anybody in our first week right now because, um, well, we don't have any spaces. But um, so (laughs) these are only required if you're in your first week. So I just want to like point out that like everyone who is on here is on here cause they are here on their own free will and want to be here. So I think that is super cool. Um, but anyway, so I think most of y'all have done this before. Um, I know Lisa has done this before and I'm so happy to have you back. Um, I have some questions in mind, um, that I, that I will want to ask or, but really this, this whole thing is for you all. So, you know if you guys have questions um please speak up ask them um but then if you don't then that's whenever i'll i'll step in but um so lisa is executive director of the magdalen house and i'm sure mm-hmm. all of you know that but she is also much more and um if you can just lisa first just like give us some background information and um about you and like what led you to alcoholics anonymous
1: so I cry a lot. First, I want to say that, and I cuss a lot too, but I think this is being recorded, so I won't cuss anymore because it really offends some people, and I have to really watch that. I probably will cry, and it's funny because I, for so okay, first of all, my name is Lisa, I'm a recovered alcoholic, and I'm here today not as the executive director at all because first and foremost in my life is I'm a recovered alcoholic. It comes before my motherhood. It comes before my work. It comes before every single thing in my life. And the reason for that is because I found my faith in recovery. And so I associate God and recovery. And to me, they, they are the same because that's for me, that is really my spirituality is everything that is encompassed with recovery and they don't ever really separate for me. Um, and, and it's effective for me. It's effective for my life. It's effective for my family. It's effective for everything that um, I do. And people were like, oh, I can't put recovery in front of my family. But that's where God is. And so that in the beginning helped me a lot because I, I started to see uh, life with different glasses. I started literally to have a different lens on my life. And, it, and I cannot do that without putting my recovery first. And I'll tell you what, if I didn't put my recovery first, I would just go back to the selfish, you know, butthole that I was sitting at Houston's, having a glass of wine, talking bad about you. Faith without works is dead. And my faith is firmly grounded in the recovery work that I do. And I am an undisciplined person. So without that and putting my recovery first, it made a lot more sense to me in the beginning. It made no sense, but in the beginning I was very desperate. And I just did whatever my sponsor told me to do. And it seems so weird. Like I don't know why I'm getting up on this tangent, but like, after two or three weeks of sobriety, you're going to sit, you're going to listen to this blonde chick and you're, you don't know her very well, but you're going to follow her directions. But what it, it sounds so weird in the beginning, and it sounds for me being a very rebellious person, <laughs> he doesn't even follow my own directions. It sounds like I'm bowing down to someone or I'm, I'm uh, um, letting go of my personal freedoms to let someone else lead me around by a leash. That's what it felt like. And that's what it sounded like. But the big book is like the meek shall inherit the earth. Like the one when I lay down my sword and I've let someone literally lead my life for a bit, um, my life changed. And so when I saw that it helped me to be more humble, it helped me to be more teachable. And these are principles that I take with me for the rest of my life. I have to remain open-minded. I have to remain teachable. And I learned all those principles when I was very first, very, very first um, sober um, and in the beginnings of recovery. So that was a long, drawn out explanation to say that, yes, I'm the executive director. That could go away tomorrow. The board of directors could fire me tomorrow and my life would not fall apart. My life would be okay because I've always put, since day one, recovery first. I have to. My family understands that. My my husband understands that. And because of that, my family's better. Because of that, my relationship with my husband is better. Because of that, my relationship with the God of my understanding is, is strong. I'm not afraid of losing my job. I'm not afraid of losing my husband. Those things um, are material. And so if I'm gonna continue to live, you know, vertically, not horizontally, then I can live free, free of fear. So I don't know why I went off on that tangent. I don't, that maybe just the way that some, I needed to talk about today. Uh, uh, the way I found in my life to be most helpful as an alcoholic woman in recovery is A, to live out loud. And you guys know how strongly I feel about that. If you've known me for five minutes, you know how strongly I feel about that because we walk around so ashamed to be an alcoholic and it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. You're like, why wouldn't I talk about that? out loud. But I think really some of the most effective things that I can talk about or help women with are, is motherhood and the shame around how what we do to our children, because we do do it. I'm not going to slick it up and make it pretty. It does have a purpose, but it doesn't make it any prettier or better. It still is what it is. So I think me being able to talk to you guys is really, it helps me a lot more than it helps you. Um, This pandemic is literally about to, it's about to do me in. Um, I swear, some days I wake up and it's all good. And some days I wake up, I'm like, oh my gosh, the house, Redwood Circle's falling apart or gassing's not gonna be done in time. Or I have all these fears, like I am in charge of everything. So I'm so grateful for the principles. I'm grateful to be here to talk to you guys today But my story starts out literally decades of drinking in the last 10 years before I got sober, very problematically. I did not drink during my pregnancies, which I don't know why God does that to us women. Most of the women that I know, um, they don't drink during their pregnancies. Some do, which that's fine, but some don't. Most don't. I think it's hormonal. I really believe it's chemical. But I didn't. And um, but right after my, especially right after Jake was born, my youngest I uh, got right back on the wagon and uh, off the wagon or whatever you call it. And I didn't get back on. Jake was seven years when I got sober. So pretty much missed seven years of his life. I did not have a um, aha moment that was time for me to get sober. It was really a string of events that led up to me being in the hospital and almost dying. By the time I got to the hospital, uh, my blood alcohol level was Point four, because I tried to drink myself to death. And it wasn't in that moment. Don't even don't think that that's what brought me to my knees. And that was the moment. It was a sequence of events that led to that moment. Um, if it was in that moment, then I probably wouldn't have stayed sober. I probably would have been in recovery today because I can't just look at that moment. That moment does not make me an alcoholic <laughs> just because I was in the hospital with tubes in my throat. What makes me, what made me an alcoholic is the decade before that. So don't confuse like all the big consequences and she almost died or whatever, because that, that's not it. Um, that's not the reason why my soul was black. My soul was black long before I was in the hospital. But all of those things kind of led to, to the fact that it wasn't that I was afraid of dying that I surrendered. It was because I couldn't live anymore the way that I was living. And it's a weird thing for a mom, <clears throat> for me at least, for a weird thing for a mother because I didn't want to live anymore, but I couldn't hurt myself really because I was afraid that my kids would be without a mom. So it's a horrible place to be in. Like you really physically want to die, but you can't because your kid, it would be horrible, right? So it's this cycle that played on for about four, four and a half years from September, yeah, four and a half years. And it was just, it was awful. You guys, you know, I don't have to tell you how awful it was. Everybody, you know, I can tell you how but my awful is not, is the same as your awful. Our awful's are awful. And that's why we can bond um, so beautifully together. But the interesting thing about my story from a recovery standpoint, and I don't know, I, I, the only thing I can say is that I literally never said no. To my sponsor, I say no to shit all the time. You guys, you know, if you know me for five minutes, you know I'm a rebellion My husband, like, I'm like, no, mm -mm, I'm strong. I'm not. I I don't need to. Don't open my door. (laughs) Do not open. I, I got that. You don't have to. I don't have to go ahead of you. You know all that. I just, I'm, I'm very independent. So for me to never say no to my sponsor and do everything that she asked me to do was a change of um, DNA for me. But that's what I did. Um I really, I, I, I literally in the beginning, um, just did everything that she asked me to do. So um, the interesting thing too, and I'll show up and let you guys ask questions, but um, is I didn't relapse. This last time when I went in and I heard step one and I literally got like, it was, it, I it felt like bricks were hitting me in the face. It was so strong. The step one experience I had, not the drinking part, the knowledge and the drinking together in that moment was so strong, like the explosion in my head that I'm not a bad person, I'm not a terrible mom, I'm just an alcoholic, was so profound that I literally got out of that place and thought, I, I knew I was going to devote my life to it. I knew that there were women out there that needed to hear that their, that their lives could be better because they're alcoholic, not in spite of, but because of. And... I never got that message, and I got out. Believe me, I got out of rehab, pissed off, going back to my home group and telling them they're doing it wrong. They're killing mothers. They're killing people. I had to make amends. Still, I have this woman when I go speak at this one group, my old home group. She still leaves the room when it's me. She walks. She literally walks out. I made a lot of mistakes for sure, and that's okay. So anyway, and then here I found Maggie's two months into my sobriety. And I tell you what, you guys, I never left. When I was going through my divorce, I think I was at Maggie's every single day. It it was, I think it saved my kids. It saved my life. And so I, I, I literally never left. Me not being at Redwood Circle and not being physically in that building right now is the longest I've ever not been at Maggie's. And that's the only thing that I can draw a conclusion to is that I was there every day and I never left. And I hope that you guys are all doing the same thing. And I think you're here the next step. So you get the continuity and the frequency um, that's so important um, to successful recovery, Um, whether you want to do it or not. You know, it's not a feelings program. So that's where I am today. I started working here. They asked me to become, the or help them find an ED. And so I was going to, I still had a couple of kids in high school. I wasn't going to work full time yet because they needed me, right? And then here you, you know, what, five years later, four years later, I'm still
2: here. So that's all I got.
0: Thank you. Does anybody have a question?
2: I have some questions. So, um, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I'm just going to jump right in. I love what you said. I have two things. I'm just going to comment first. I love what you're saying about your kids and stuff. That's huge. Uh, That's a big Mm -hmm. piece of my life. My kids, Mm -hmm. my daughter is starting to stop having nightmares Mm -hmm. about me relapsing because I just relapsed Mm -hmm. so many times. And so, Mm -hmm. and I see me staying in this book and working this program trickles down everywhere. You know, God just uses me
1: Mm -hmm. when I'm willing
2: and I see it affecting all areas of my life and that's cool. Um, so I really related to the kids part, but I have questions for you about working with others. Okay. Um, on, and I'm just going to read, this is where I'm at right now. So I'll take, give you a little bit of background. I have, I've been praying God send me someone to help. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. living into an 11 and 12. I'm willing, you know, I'm putting myself out there and I have women calling me, but I don't feel like they're, and this is me. They have a billion and one excuses as to why the program won't work for them. Why they're, how they're different. And I keep telling them, you're no different than anybody else. You know, this program works. And then, um, you know you just okay, got to so be so what one. is your what is your
1: program what is i'm sorry what is your uh question, your question about? i'm gonna write this down so yes.
2: so my question is and i was reading mm-hmm. this this morning it's on page 103 it says every new alcoholic looks for the spirit among us and is immensely relieved when he finds we are not all burners we, we're not all witch burners a spirit of intolerance might repel alcoholics whose lives could have been saved but it had it but had it not been for such stupidity so um and they're talking about, you know, a hatred of, of alcohol, but yeah, I know. Also, that, <laughs> that, witch, that witch burners um, mm-hmm. part. So someone made a comment about how related that to those who go in and out of the program, you know, how do you, okay, so let me, how do you, how do you approach? They're talking about the
1: temperance movement. They're talking about the temperance and prohibition.
2: Okay. Um, now let me ask you this question, because mm-hmm. um, I'm having a problem with, being helpful and and not, how do you draw that line in the sand and say, "Man, you're just not ready." Like, what do you say to me? When, whenever you have a sponsee that has all these excuses and or not some sponsee, but someone who comes to me and you know, I, I uh, you know, I'm like, she said, you, she made, made a comment that, okay, Michelle, Michelle, yeah, you're, ta- you're know, talking, you're talking you,
1: you no, you're not rambling to me you're talking too much to her. Okay. Why are you, why are you trying to talk her into doing the program?
2: Well, I wasn't really, I, I kind of said, Hey, here's what you need to do. If you want me to sponsor you, that's fine. And I said, you know, if you want to go to treatment, here's a place that I went to and I left it in that. And then I got a message that said I wrote her off. Why'd you write?
1: that's Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. So So, did I do the right thing? Yes. So okay. one of the things you guys, I, I, the, most of the phone calls I get today are about this, about sponsorship. So as Lois told Bill, who's still sober? Me. Yes. Me. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 So our job is to try, but the one thing that you, you talked about is new alcoholics. So the new alcoholic is the person who's willing to do whatever it takes. They want what you have, but Mm -hmm. they're also willing to do whatever it takes. Then they're ready to take certain steps. So not every alcoholic is ready to get recovered. Gotcha. You can qualify a thousand women. I I I can't tell you how many women I have sponsored and qualified them as alcoholic, but they're not ready to take the action yet. And so you're not going to, it's not, you're not going to blow them off that. Okay. So I want you to, all of you guys, where you were when you were first sober or right before you got sober, wasn't your obsession, your mind telling you that, that you knew more than everybody else. Mine was, mine was telling me that it was a one-off that, that no one understood me. Right that I was unique. Also too, my mind would tell me that if this would change, I wouldn't have to drink so much. So I just need to go fix that. Right. Get out of my marriage or whatever. The bottom line is when a woman is ready, think about your own experience, Michelle. You, when you were ready, you put down the sword and you quit talking or at least I, I don't know your, I don't know your experience. I don't know you, but I do know what works. Is that when you put down the sword and you quit talking and you listen and there's no excuses, everybody has an excuse why they shouldn't be in the program right now. They're too busy. Their kids are sick. There's a pandemic. Their husband's, you know, requires all their time. They have no money. They have no car. Everyone has an excuse to not do the work. It's, 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 that's fine. If that's, that's your excuse. Awesome. Um, And the other thing too, which this is, and um, Tina um, went through so hard in the beginning, you will have people that will not like you. You are not doing your job as a sponsor if everyone loves you. I am serious. My job is to disturb you about alcoholism. It's not to piss you off or be mean, but it's to disturb you. And and the more that I'm disturbed about my alcoholism, the more I'm going to put down my sword and listen. But disturbed doesn't mean you're rude or mean. You're not blowing her off. You're just not doing what she wants you to do. There's a big difference. But you're going to irritate some people and you're going to upset some people in the beginning um, because our egos die hard. Bill Wilson talked about the the bottom is not... Circumstances are external. It is complete deflation of the ego. And what you're hearing is ego. And be kind. Don't judge because we all have the ego. All of us have been there. You know what, baby? Go read 31, the allergy test. Let me know when you're done. I'll be right here. I'm not going to tell you about not drinking. I'm going to tell you what I did after I made a decision to go through the work. So I don't know if that helps or not, but you're going to have people that won't like you.
2: I, I loved it. That was dead on. That was what I needed to hear because I was scared that I'm so, I'm an infant in sobriety. You know what yeah. I mean? I mean, I'm getting knowledge and I'm growing and I, and I love what you said. I needed to hear that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's on my- your
1: sponsor. Hopefully your sponsor will tell you that your ego is talking.
2: She did. She kind of said, she said the same things that you said that, you know, when they're, when they're ready, they're going to, they're going to take, I love what you said about shut up that's what I did in the beginning. I called my sponsor for everything. I did exactly what she said. I wanted this yeah. with desperation drowning in, and, and that girl doesn't have it. So I love what you said. Nope. Thank you. <laughs> no, nope. so go find one who does. Your job is to go find one who does. It's, it talks about in the book,
1: since you're quoting the book, do not spend yes. any, kind, any more time with one who doesn't want it. That's on you, not that.
2: Gotcha. Thank you. You're welcome. Anyone else? I have a
3: question. Yeah. I just kind of mine is mine is in regard to, to children. So um, my daughter is okay. six, and you know I've yeah. I left Maggie's at the beginning of July, uh, June, excuse me, and so I've been really intentional and in kind of sharing with her uh, my journey, and so I guess I'm wondering what you would say as far as how much to include her in all of this, you know, definitely sheltering her from the exact cause of uh, nature of what, you know, why mommy was sick, but definitely including her in that, you know, she was very aware and present for all of that. But, you know, um, I find her being very interested in my Zoom meetings and kind of when I have my headphones in, she wants to see the ladies and things like that. And so with your kids, did you, as the older they got, did you let them become more aware of what happened? Or is that something like just, as she's curious, uh, the older she gets, kind of, this is what happened,
1: you know, that kind of um, thing. Okay, so my oldest was 13 when I got sober, and my youngest was seven. So my oldest knew everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he had a drunk mom for his whole middle school years. But my youngest, now boys are different than girls. Boys yeah. are real different than girls. My boys, they, you know, they, they would play video games. They'd give a sh- crap if I was on... um you know, and well, we didn't have Zoom and all this stuff. They didn't, I took, but Jake went with me to a lot of meetings. He sat in the little foundation room off to the side many, many nights with his little Game Boy thing back then. And so they were very curious as to what mommy was doing. I told them all about the disease of alcoholism. I said the words alcoholism a lot. Your mommy's an alcoholic. Um, I wanted them to tell their friends. I wanted them to share that information so that there was not a stigma around it. Because we talk about my mommy has cancer, my mommy has diabetes, my mommy has a heart problem, but we don't want to say my mommy's an alcoholic. So that's the language I started using with my kids very early on. So they weren't afraid of the word. Um, and they my youngest who now is a year recovery, he's a drug addict. And so he just celebrated a year in May. Um, he doesn't look at it as such a shameful thing. He's like, I have a disease like my mom and it's crazy, but I would include the kids as much. Now I wouldn't talk about the, the, the consequences. I wouldn't, I don't, I didn't go tell them how many DWIs I had or what mm-hmm. jail was like. I mean, I talked about it from a factual disease model standpoint um, and it, it was easier for them to grasp. It wasn't scary. My behavior was scary. And as they got older, they started to see how my behavior was the most helpful thing that I had for other people, for other women. It wasn't my knowledge of the big book. And so they started seeing women come over to my house, our house. They started literally to see and they would hear me talk about what I did with the kids and that really made a lot of sense to them but okay. I would say to every woman on here don't be afraid of the alcoholic word you're perpetuating the stigma of alcoholism why wouldn't we talk about it like we do with cancer and that's, and yeah, let that's, let her be a part of it
3: that's one thing that i'm i'm struggling with um is mm-hmm. too i find myself mm-hmm. kind of muting the phone when it the and we were and i was on a call the other day and i kept saying you know that thing that thing because she was right next to me so i'm i've, I've definitely been struggling with with saying mm-hmm. that you know i'm not afraid to say it but i've definitely found myself kind yeah. of i don't want to just come out and say it. so maybe i am afraid to say it yeah
1: i don't be don't be ashamed you're right now you're shaming yourself and quit it Right yeah. this second, you're shaming yourself. <laughs> this is a okay. learning opportunity. That's, okay. that's the mind shaming. Like the other day I had a woman said, oh my God, I wanted to drink, I wanted a drink. I go, okay, okay. The problem is that you not wanting a drink. A, it was just a thought because you called me. And if you're an obsession, you're not gonna call your sponsor if you're an obsession. Yeah. The thought is not what the problem is. It's why the hell are you shaming yourself around a thought? The shame is what we don't see. Yeah. So right this second, you're shaming yourself and you're not allowing yourself to be open-minded to see that that's just a learning opportunity for you. Like you're expected to know that after you've been taught by society that alcoholism is a horrible thing. Um, So it's okay. It's okay. And and this is how we're going to make it into um, cancer is not a a horrible thing. But the more that we talk about it, the more that we're going to come up with a solution and a cure. Um, we've got to talk about alcoholism in the same way that we talk about any cataract disease. Um, so I would do that with the kids, but. Okay. Lindsay, quit, quit shaming yourself. It's okay.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, I like that. I just, I've, I've had the question about my daughter, but on the call, I mean, on the Maggie's meeting yesterday, I think you addressed like when you're talking to other women. Um, and I, I got, I really struggled with that with my mom going to one of her best friends and telling her my situation. And I have to see this lady tomorrow. And I was like, I'm so embarrassed. And then you touched on that yesterday and said, you should be living out loud and proud that you're out there helping women. And so it made me, it made me change my whole thought process in that Good. regard. And so I need to Good. take that into the situation with my daughter. Good. So thank you. Yeah. Okay. So
1: alcoholism, the stigma of alcoholism is not perpetuated by my husband or normal drinkers. The stigma of alcoholism is perpetuated by, by us. No, us, yeah. all of us, not just you. You're not unique. We all have it. We all get into a place of shame that we don't want to talk about it. And that's why it's perpetuated. If all of us recovered alcoholics were out there talking about all the shit that we've done in the world that's good, that we're helping all these women, we're being vessels and principles, and do you think the stigma would still be alive? No.
2: no. Yeah.
1: So okay. we all do it. It's not you, it's all of us. We all have yeah. to support each other and encourage each other and say, it's okay to talk about it. Not talking about it is what perpetuates the stigma. They don't see the beautiful side of recovery. All they see is the shit because that's what causes, that's what's entertaining. If I hear one more story of a woman getting up there and talking for 45 minutes about her log, because people are laughing, alcoholism is not entertaining. <laughs> it's not meant to be entertainment. Yeah. We, we, we've got to get out there and talk about the beautiful parts of it. The, 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 the way that it changes lives. It's not about alcohol. That's why, I, I mean, Michelle was talking about the temperance movement earlier, but it's not about alcohol. It's about looking at life through a completely different perspective. Living a life of purpose. I don't know. I could go on and on about that.
3: I love it. Thank you.
0: you want to know.
3: Yeah, I have a question. Uh, Do you think that maybe the the stigma surrounding alcoholism is maybe perpetuated a little bit
1: stronger in those who are coming into recovery in this pandemic and aren't, you know, before the opportunity of being able to go to in-person meetings and connect person to person with other alcoholics? Yeah, I do think, I think we're all living. It's not just people, because Alec, remember that I'm just like you are. I'm not any different than you are we're all living on a two-legged stool. <laughs> we, none of us have, to. I need community just as much as you do. I'm not any different than you are. There's not a newcomer that's any different. I still have to wake up every single morning. And today is day one day. I wish I could cuss, but day one. So I think we're all living um, in, in, in a place where we're missing. Cause it's three, three sided triangle, right? Recovery, unity and service. We got the recovery part. We can all do the steps with our sponsor, 10, 11, and 12. We've got the service part because we can serve women up through the computers best we can. But what we're missing is the unity part, the being able to touch each other, the fellowship. And it's just as important. Um, all three are equally important. So, I don't know if it's worse because you're not being able to touch each other. We're, we are not being able to touch each other. I don't know if the stigma is worse but about what that, but I do know that it's harder. I would think it would be harder to start your recovery program or start the recovery program in a pandemic. Um, we're afforded the touching and the hugging and the sitting and holding hands, Um and I think that would cause a lot of resentment if, for me if I were newly sober. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that the stigma, if you've had a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps and you're out there helping other women on week two, the joy in your heart should be so full that you want to tell every single person about it. The change should be so dramatic. It's like living. Oh, I don't want to say that because I'm being recorded. Um, it is. It's, it's indescribable. And if you, you don't have that, then, there, then you might want to take a look at 10, 11, and 12 and what you're doing in those three steps, if you've already been through the steps. Um, because there should be no shame around it. The stigma is perpetuated because of the shame. And so there, should be, there shouldn't be shame. And if you are, you need to take a look at that, but recognize it. Like Lindsay, I don't want to pick on you, but like Lindsay, when she was talking about that with her daughter, she was feeling the shame. We could all see that she was shaming herself she doesn't see it so we've got to see when we're doing that and then rise up lift our head up and say no 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 that's obsession that's my mind that's the mental illness talking and if that's the case there should be no stigma at all i don't care if you're a newcomer or if you've got 35 years every day is day one for me
0: thanks i like that i heard in the very beginning that if like you go through the steps and you're not on fire with wanting to help people that you probably missed something Yeah, Um, and that was my experience too i was like yeah
1: i'm on day 13 and every day i wake up and go oh yeah every day it's the weirdest it's it's a phenomenon it's it, it, it 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 it's it's yeah i don't know i don't know does anybody else have a question alec did that help
3: yeah no i just was i was asking for a little bit of clarification i definitely have like little to no shame regarding it i like tell the majority
1: of the people that I that I meet that I'm an addict alcoholic so yeah I love that about you yeah okay sorry
0: no uh anybody else okay so I had a couple things that I wanted to hit on but I'm not really sure what I want to ask okay um you mentioned earlier your divorce which Mm -hmm. was actually something that I wanted to talk to you about if we had Mm -hmm. the time so I know that we're going to have trials in low spots, right? In our sobriety, yes. if life happens. And I can imagine that going through a, a divorce, newly sober, well, mm-hmm. I think you were newly sober. <laughs> That's um, two years. Yeah, was painful. Um, mm-hmm. So I would ask you, um, to, if you don't mind, sharing um, your experience and, and that mess, I guess, painful time of your sobriety and, um, and what you did.
1: That makes- it does. I, th- I think I want to touch on one of the biggest lessons I learned um, and it had to do around step 10. It had to do with like the parallelism Bill's story when he talks about that the God consciousness from within and that common sense thus becomes uncommon sense and bearing witness. So in 2009, um, we got divorced at the end of 2009 um, In 2008, I would say. We separated for the first time. We were having major problems before I got sober. And he's literally in the other room. I can tell you that that that's major, major, major problems. And um, I literally thought that if he would be out of my life, that I could get sober. Well, we separated and then we got back together and then I got sober and then we separated again. We actually had an apartment down in old, uh, an uptown, anyway, whatever. And we would switch out week. We'd spend one week with the kids and one week out. It was like this thing that we did. And, um, and I was so angry, you guys. I mean, literally I was so angry. I hated him. I hated the fact that I'd gotten sober and I would have this big spiritual epiphany and now my kids were going to suffer because of our divorce and he wanted the divorce. And so I was freaking angry. Like literally we're starting to get into a rhythm. Mama's getting sober. Mama's getting a recovery. And now uh, you're leaving our family. And I, you can imagine how pissed off I was, right? And so, because my kids had already been through hell, now they have to go through hell again. And so I was really, really angry. And we went through divorce uh, attorneys and I just, uh, it was my sponsor. It, it was awful. So something happened in 2009. Um, we got back together for a brief period of time. He, he, we thought we would work it out after that separation. And then he came to me one day Um, sitting, I'll never forget, I was sitting at the end of my, the master bed, and um, he looked at me, he said, I'm done, I want out, it was really hard, Um, because I knew that the right thing to do was to have joint custody, right, it's unnatural for a mother to be without their kids for a week, it was hard, I had a different experience the second time around. I, my sponsor worked. I did everything that she asked me to do. I paused. I prayed. I would walk out of those attorney sessions and just get on my knees in the car and try to be as kind as I possibly could. Like she said, don't you say one negative word. You do everything that you me to do. You owe it to your children to be kind no matter what you feel. And that was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. And at one point, this one attorney looked at Dave and said, you guys get along better than most married people I know. Why are you guys getting a divorce? I literally put down my sword and I quit fighting because I had to do it for my children. And I still didn't like him very much, but I tensed up a shit ton over that period of time. And I really believe that God changed my heart that common sense thus become uncommon sense. It didn't make any sense to me why I had this change. Like I'm going to do this for my kids. I'm going to be kind to him no matter what he says to me at one point in the whole thing. He called me a bitch. I mean, it was, and I just got up and walked out and paused and prayed and came back in and I just took it. I just quit fighting. And, um, I tell you what, and the reason why it was so beautiful, my sponsor pointed this out. She said, what one, which one of those women do you want to sponsor you? Do you want the fighter? I'm going to do, I'm going to get in him. I'm going to get him, get him. Get. Or do you want the wom- woman who's spiritually centered, who's at peace, who's not fighting, that no one's doing it to her? And I said, you know what? What's the second woman. And when she said that to me, it changed my life. I quit being a fighter, and in that quit being a fighter, I won the long game. My husband we divorced, and literally he that the way that the way that peaceful heart that I had in that process, he literally wanted what I had and two years later he came back and said, "I'm miserable. And I thought, I screwed up." And I said, I'm sorry, but I'm over you. (laughs) And it took me about two, two or two and a half years to even go on a date with him. But I finally did. And he waited patiently while I blew him off. And then we got remarried in 2017. But I tell you what, you guys, that divorce, it was one of the best things that ever happened to me because it just took my fight out. And I quit making it about me. I made it about my children. I made it about the women I sponsor. I made it about everything else than me. And I'm the one who, who benefited in the end. Just like alcoholism. When I quit making it about alcohol, I, when I quit make, start making it about others, I'm the one who benefits in the end. I quit doing it for me, but I'm the one who got the biggest reward. And that wasn't my motivation. I tell you what, I would not have had... That um, perspective, if I hadn't got divorced and I hadn't had a really cool sponsor that literally took the wind out of myself and, and showed me that I was being selfish and I listened to her and I didn't want to, it's not in my nature to not fight. I am not a runner, I'm a fighter, and it changed my life.
0: That was so good. Let me get this straight. So your husband yeah
1: father of your children yeah y'all divorced we did and now you're remarried to him he had a spiritual awakening i was trying <laughs> to get him How <laughs> did i don't know but i literally it was almost like i was beating him over the head with spirituality like i was beating those people over the head in that aa meeting right you need this i am textbook like i literally am textbook It says, you remember in in the book, it says, beat the person with spirituality and that you need to, it's about what you do, not what you say. Well, when, when I got out of the picture, guess what happened to him? He had his own spiritual awakening without me. He came to me and sat across me at the kitchen table and he, and I still have it and read me this letter of a man. He told me that AA was a cult that I had found another obsession, that AA had become a new obsession and just replaced alcohol. He hated AA. So for the first 18 oh. months of our second marriage, he was at PPG with me every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. He learned the book. He read the book. He literally wanted He wanted to learn everything about it. It's crazy. God did that. I didn't. I wasn't even in the picture. You and guys, this is thing that, is real. It's real.
0: Lisa, didn't he do the steps as well?
1: Uh-huh. That's where he read me that. Meant, uh, that was his mint.
0: Isn't that
1: crazy, you guys? I feel like that's crazy. So cool, though. Uh, yeah. I,
0: does, does I'm sorry, I'm crying so much. No, I love it. I'm really um, happy that we have that on uh, record, too, so other people can hear it. Does anybody else have a question? Okay. Well, we're getting to the top of the hour, but there's still something else I wanted to ask. <laughs> So if y'all need to get off a little early, that's fine. Cause we might run over a few minutes. I wanted to talk to you about like uh, repairing relationships. I remember last time, um, which I know like we all come in here, right. And like we're a tornado roaring through the lives of others. And you know, that there's a long road of reconstruction ahead. But I remember last time you, you were on and we talked about amends um, and you mm. said that some of them didn't go well. Because <laughs> yeah. it, it was, cause it's not about. It made you realize it's not about what you say, but it's about what you do. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to ask you if you could um, touch on relationships that, that were repaired. Focus, I mean, I really want to hear about repairing the relationships with your children. But if you have any other relationships that were
1: repaired, if you mind sharing your experience with that. So one of the biggest things I had or expectations I had was, and this is a this is textbook too, wrong. One of the expectations I had after amends is that these relationships would be repaired, right? And that's not what the amends process is about. The amends process is about the past, right? So it's a sincere desire to set right the wrong. So I literally went into some of these amends with the expectation that relationships would be repaired, and that did not happen. In most of the amends that I made, uh, maybe one or two, I'm trying to think of my sister, but uh, and she was fine. My sister was like, you know what, just keep doing what you're doing. I love you. And blah, 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 easy, easy, easy. But it's really actually not easy because what she's saying is a big tall order. Cause that means, you know, practicing the principles and all your affairs. But most of the amends that I made were not, they, they weren't immediate reparation um, which is fine because that's not the purpose of the amends. The amends is about the past. It has nothing to do with the current relationship or the future. So living through that amends process and just taking the action, it took a long time for those relationships to be repaired. Like I said, my sister and Dave, I mean, Dave, it took years, obviously, because for us to trust each other again. Um, I just want you guys to know that God will repair, and I have this experience, your higher power whatever that looks like, will repair those relationships as you walk the walk this is not about an immediate reparation. It's not as strong or as authentic if it's immediate reparation. Um, my sister, uh, it took her a while to get really honest with me about some of the things that I had done to her. Um, and so it, it, it takes a while. It takes a long time. Some of the relationships I have will never be repaired. The relationship with my mom, I don't think it will I think, She's, she's so stubborn that she's going to not speak to me until the day she dies. Other relationships are stronger. Every one of my relationships with my children is stronger every day, 13 years into it. It was not like that at the amends. So if your expectations are that relationships will change when you make your amends, you have, you might want to look at your motives for making the amends. Because the immense process is nothing to do with reparation to relationships. It has to do with your willingness to do whatever it takes to repair the damage of the past. It's not about the current or the future. So whenever someone will call me and say, oh, she was so mean to me. I'm like, so you were mean to her? I mean, what, you, what, what were your expectations of that amends? So this, the amends process is just a step. I mean, it's just this, a step that you do, and it's important, and it was life-changing for me, for sure. It wasn't life-changing to the people that I made amends to. The people that I made amends to, they wanted to see action. They wanted to see longevity. They wanted to see frequency and continuity before they would ever trust me again. So I have to constantly remember that the amends process is one part of a lifetime, right? And I'm, by practicing these principles in all of my affairs, that's what's going to repair the relationships. Um, and God, I know that because that's what's happened to me. It takes time. Um, and that's not Americans. And as a general, in general, they want we want immediate gratification. I'm the biggest connoisseur of Amazon you've ever seen in your life. I like the two-day prime. I will only buy the two-day prime. I like immediate gratification. I want you to like me because I got sober and I told you that I'm not going to do that anymore. I mean, really? So it takes a long time, which is really good, you guys, because that's a part of building the foundation. For me, that was a part of building a very strong foundation, um, was constantly um, making sure that I was practicing the principles in all my affairs. And even my kids wanted what I had after a while. But not in the beginning so i don't know if that answers your question or not but it's a process
0: yes thank you all Mm -hmm. right i'm going to ask our wrap-up question unless somebody has something that they want to ask okay um i just want to thank you uh very much for being on here with us um and to wrap things up i just always like to ask um if there is like one takeaway that you'd want us to have um one thing that you want us to leave us on like mm. the one thing that you'd want us to know are the women who are going or whoever is going to listen to know um what would that one thing be what would that one takeaway be
1: i think the one thing the one takeaway would be that recovery is very different than sobriety and i say this a lot right now in this pandemic because if i'm in fear of drinking again If I'm in fear, that means I'm really just trying to stay sober. I'm focusing on the alcohol and fear-based living is sucks. If I'm focusing on recovery and sustaining long-term recovery, I'm supposed to make mistakes. I'm not inspired by women who do it perfectly. I'm inspired by women who, who mess up a lot and it's in the reparation. That's what I'm inspired by. I want to be like that one. I want to be, you know, like Mae West said it best. I want to sit with the sinners. I don't want to sit with the do gooders I want to be with the women who are not afraid to make mistakes and who are authentic about it. That's what recovery looks like to me. So fear and all this pandemic about drinking or not drinking, that would be a suck way to live. And that's still the obsession of living big and bright. But recovery is different. And it's cool because I get to make a lot of mistakes. And I get to be who I am, who I am and authentic. And I don't have to pretend to be someone I'm not just so I can do this thing perfectly or stay sober. So just always remember that sobriety is really different than recovery. And they mean two very different things. And it will lead you to two very different results. That's all. Thank
0: you so much. That was so good. Um, And we ended just in time. Look at that. So, all right. All right, y'all. I will see you guys later. Lisa, I'll see you later this afternoon. I love y'all so Mm -hmm. much. Bye. Thank you guys. Thank thank you guys for having me. Thank you. Thank you guys. Thank you. Bye.
3: This podcast is from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and support our mission at MagdalenHouse.org.